We are rocking here at Real Tales from the Bar Side. This is the podcast where we talk about the shit that goes on in the bar, in the restaurant, with people who own the bar, own the restaurant, run the bar, run the food, do everything and see everything. Don't ever do something or say something that you don't want seen, especially in New York at the bar, because we're watching and talking about it here on Real Tales from the Bar Side. All right, we are fucking jumping in head first. Here we go. Real Tales from the Bar Side. Welcome. This is a fucking great episode, and in large part because I'm amped up. I haven't slept much. I'm gassed on Dunkin' Donuts black iced coffee. I totally forgot my laptop and had to get up super early. I have to go into bed at 6.30 a.m. to go back to Brooklyn to pick the fucking thing up because I love you, the listeners, and I won't let you down. So partially because of that, but also because I got a great guest. I mean, this guy is no joke. He's one of my dear friends, Johnny Solo. He's a former bartender, now a restaurateur, which I thought was pronounced restauranteur until I typed it into my phone in a text and it auto-corrected me. He's an amazing actor. He's done all kinds of wild shit. We'll get into that. We'll talk about everything Johnny Solo related. But first, let's get into the bi-weekly rant of the week. Folks, it's New York City. It's New York City, okay? Respect the fact that it's fucking New York City. I know it's been cleaned up. I know it seems so safe, and everybody wants to treat it like it's fucking Disneyland, especially here on the Upper East Side. But it is New York City, home of the aggravated assault, okay? Don't walk around in fucking flip-flops with drunken, stupid smiles on your faces at 3 a.m. and run into somebody pissed off and sober who's driving a cab and think that they're not going to get out. Maybe with a fucking club. Maybe with a gun. You don't know in this city. I had a couple come in last night, and I love them to pieces. They're great people, and thank God the guy had some sense in his head because the girlfriend was drunk. She walked through a crosswalk, and it was her right away. Self-righteousness kicked in. Believe me, I'm no stranger to it. I understand. And the fucking Uber driver almost hit her. So she smacked his windshield, and the dude popped the trunk. Now, if you see somebody pop a trunk in a car, fucking run. Like, don't try and be a hero. Me, I probably would go at the trunk. I'd do something stupid. It's not because I'm tough. It's because I'm fucking dumb. Don't do it. Respect New York City. Remember where you're at. And with that, let's go to New York born, bred, raised, New York's own prodigal son, Johnny Solo. Hey. What's up? <laughs> What's going on? So start there, man. You were a, you're a Manhattan guy. Yeah, I grew up uh, uptown Manhattan in Washington Heights, uh, up by Dykeman Street. Okay, paint a little bit of a picture when you grew up. I mean, that's the upper, upper, upper west side, like above Harlem, right? Yeah, yeah, above Harlem, Spanish Harlem, there's Washington Heights, and that's where I originally grew up, and then my family kept moving up. Um, We thought it was going to, we were moving up towards Dykeman, and then we went to 207th, which is actually Inwood. Okay. uh, The northernmost tip of Manhattan. It gets really narrow. Up yeah. There. So there's no west or east side, really. Okay. So you were, yeah, it's basically at the top. Yeah. All right. So northwest all the way up. And yeah. what was it like? What was the neighborhood like? What was the, just the, the conditions? What was it all about back then? What, yeah. what are we talking about? The, what, the 80s, 90s? Yeah. 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 It was really shitty and uh, really, really shitty. Luckily, you know, I created a, a couple good friends and uh, just to survive, I started rapping and uh, acting a little thuggish. Um, just to blend, 
Uh, my parents were in full denial. They thought it was a great neighborhood. Uh, <laughs> I think they loved it because it had two bathrooms and a sunken living room. Uh, these were real Manhattan apartments. I'm talking big. Well, huge. there's a lot of like crown molding and old Victorian yeah. up there. It's really yeah, pre-war. Yeah. But as I started getting older, I realized how shitty it was. And I used to come up and tell my parents, like, hey, guys, it's pretty dangerous out there. Uh, we're playing wiffle ball and a guy just whipped out a machete and chased us down the street. And my parents would be like, what are you talking about? It's beautiful here. Look at all the artists that are moving in. This is gorgeous. And I'm like, no, you're not out there in the streets with me. You're like, you know, either going to work, coming back home. You don't know what's going on. It's really bad. But, you know, overall, it was a good childhood. I'm, you know, messing around. But there were some moments that were really scary. It's interesting because they have friends up there now. You can get a fucking pumpkin spice latte in October in that neighborhood now. Mm -hmm. But they're up there and it's still very, mm, it's like, it, it's now it's half and half. Yeah. It, it's like you have kind of the, the privilege, but you also get everybody's out in the street in lawn chairs blaring Caribbean music mm -hmm. and Latin music and dancing. And then there's people that are talking shit right on the corner to you, mm -hmm. whether it's aggressive or it's just kind of culturally hey mamacita or what's up snowflake kind of shit yeah yeah well listen the neighborhood was always like uh, especially when we moved on up to 207th street which was inwood there was there's a huge like group of like still like uh, remnants of the irish neighborhood okay but then all the dominicans came in um so it was always kind of like mixed and there were there were there were like good aspects of both the problem is that New York, it was such a rough time in New York, so that was sort of becoming the epicenter of some, like, rough stuff that was happening with gangs. Yeah. Um, I remember my, my parents would drop me off at my grandmother. My grandmother lived on a really tough street called Academy Street, and she was on the first floor. So just hanging out at the window, people would go by, and I had a tough-ass cousin. Uh, tough, like, we're talking about 11-year-olds. When, when he was, like, 11, <laughs> he had attitude, so they walked by, these guys, and my cousin was like, what are you looking at? They're like, what are you looking at? So we we jump out the window, and actually you know they were like, I don't think you guys want to mess with us. We're the ballbusters, and like uh, the ballbusters back then were like from Harlem all the way to Washington Heights. They were like a ridiculous group, and they said, "Where are you guys from?" And my cousin turned around to him and he goes, "We're from the Cobras," and he just made up a gang at that spot. So then there was like a major beef between the ballbusters and the Cobras for a while until finally my friend Boom, who I used to play basketball with, he, he squashed it, luckily, because he knew my sister, and he was like, yo, that's Johnny's sister, no more beef here. So that's how we stopped that. Damn, man. Yeah, I never knew you were in with the Cobras. The Cobras, yeah. That was a horrible <laughs> name. My, my cousin saw too many movies in the 70s. He's on the spot, man. That's wild. Yeah. It's, I mean, I love it up there because it's still got that old New York feel that a mm -hmm. lot of neighborhoods just don't anymore. Big time. But Big time, I, it's yeah. too fucking hilly, man. I can't. It, it I is. get winded just Inwood walking. Inwood Park in is gorgeous. I don't know if you've ever been to Inwood Park. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, yeah, there's some. Listen, it's it's a beautiful neighborhood, and I had a great childhood, and everybody was really great. There was a little candy store in the corner. Everybody would go to called G's. A good family that I knew owned it. We'd go in there for egg creams, milkshakes. It was it was it was just it was a great neighborhood. But every once in a while, you'd see some shit. You know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So cool. That's your background. That's yeah. where you're coming up from. You mm -hmm. get your first bar job when? How old are you when you start working in the business? Oof. I mean, I I worked like at some fancy country club out in Westchester when I was like 15, 16, okay. 17. I worked there in the summers. Um, it was like a really pricey country club. So what they would move me from the uh, from waiter to bartender. So that's when I first started, like a little bit bartending. It was probably legal at that point, mm -hmm. 16, 17, but yeah, I was working there. I'd make a lot of like cranberry seltzers for the old golfers and stuff. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it was a great place, though. It was, it was wonderful. Um, I did almost have like a 
funny story. I almost had a, a revolution there because one time I, I got angry. Matt, you know me a little bit, but I, you know, like I, I, as I was growing up, I had like a lot of like uh, volatility and temper. Mm-hmm. So especially in the restaurant business, and that's yeah. what I learned from my dad. You know, you, you work with a little anger, right, at times just to make it through the day. Um, one time we were having problems. The kitchen was backed up, and the uh, one of the Mexican guys in the kitchen, they said something to me, and I, I said, you know, I was a little punk too, so I turned around and said, yeah, yeah, your mother, right? <laughs> so I go outside, and all of a sudden, I was about to go back in the kitchen, and my manager stops me. He goes, you got to leave today. I go, why? He goes, because the guy that you said your mother to, he goes, all the guys in the kitchen are all brothers, and now they want to kill you. <laughs> so I had I got suspended for two weeks. They had to like do a peace treaty. I had to sit with all the guys and say I'm sorry about you know I didn't mean about their mother. That it's just a thing that people say here in America. Damn. Whenever you get cursed at, you get your mother. You know. <laughs> so yeah, that was a uh, that was the country club experience. This is a fucking riot, man. I love these podcasts for yeah. so many reasons. One is I know you pretty well. Like, we've uh-huh. known each other a long time, and. I had no idea any of this shit. You got, it, we're, we're what, 10 minutes in and you're already having people having to squash shit between the Cobras and the fucking ball busters. Yeah, people yeah, stepping yeah. in to squash it, your brothers <laughs> to the entire I'm sounding like a real wise ass, but meanwhile, I was a really nice kid growing up. I didn't really, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what what did you start doing first in the city? Like, were you, uh, yeah. because you bartended where? Were you in Midtown? Were you in I was, Yeah, Square? you know what? Then I started, you know, I would always go back between waiter, bartender. I was like kind of fickle. I don't know where to where I stand and where I really kind of started getting a little bit of my uh, understanding of bartending was there's a little place down on Prince Street called Cafe Tina. It's next to a very famous restaurant called Raul's, but it's a little cafe. It's not there anymore now. It's an Italian restaurant, but Cafe Tina was there for years. And uh, there I was bartender, barista. It was like a small place, and I did everything. Okay. It was twenty seats, right in the middle of Soho. Um, and I was the dishwasher, bartender, barista. They had the dishwasher in the back. I did everything. 20 seats in the restaurant or at the I'm bar? I'm sorry, 10 seats at the restaurant. 15 seats in the restaurant so or something. Capacity like, for, for yeah, the yeah, it was place. a small little yeah, place, but people would hang out outside. It was like a quick espresso bar slash, okay. slash bar. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was pretty cool. And a guy named, really great guy, Italian guy from Italy, Rocco owned it. Him and his family lived upstairs uh, of the building, which was hysterical too because... Uh, his wife, Tina, Cafe Tina, mm-hmm. uh, she could watch the place from the rooftop they built the kitchen. And across the street, she would have a reflection off the Cafe Tina. So she could see Cafe Tina from the reflection off the window across the street. So she would call me every time she saw something that was going on. Like, why is there a line? I'm like, how'd you know there's a line? She's like, I see it off the reflection. <laughs> so it's here. before cameras. She yeah, had yeah, reflective exactly. glass. Yeah trip so what's up cafe tina did anything wild go down there was there any kind of like cafe tina was shit? great because raul's next door so mm-hmm. what happened with that is like you know you have uh, a lot of celebrities that kept going to raul's but then they would come by cafe tina for a quick espresso okay uh one of my favorites of course was uh my uh, president bill clinton uh story it's quick it's nothing too much but he was at raul's he finished dinner and he rolled up to cafe tina with the secret service he walked right in and he said, let, let me get one of them black coffees, those little black coffees. And I, I was going to sarcastically say, like, espresso? And he was like, yeah, 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 like a little black coffee. So I, I sat there and I did the espresso and the Secret Service was watching every smooth. And I gave him a little espresso and he, he shot it up and he left. And I was like, wow, that was crazy. He didn't know how to say espresso. <laughs> 
Let me get a little black coffee. <laughs> Not only that, but shit, Bill Clinton just walked in real quick. Yeah, yeah. We also had Brad Pitt, I remember, walked in. I made him a, a Grey Goose soda. Um, it's funny, I remember, like, the little drinks people had, right? Yeah. Was, uh, and I also, at that point, it was, it was, it was a fun time, man. It was like a... A wild group from Soho. You had the Abel Ferrara, the director coming oh, in. Yeah. And you'd have like it was just wild. We had a we had a great bunch there. Of, uh, Any crazy base. things with him? Abel Ferrara is a wild dog. Um, you know what? He was just he was hysterical, but definitely wild. And at times he would just come in and out, and he would uh, he would uh, one day we had a showcase in this little cafetina. This was before I even started acting, and mm-hmm. people were going on stage and just. Oh, stage. People got on chairs and were just like screaming out poetry. And Rocco would come and sing opera, and Ferrara would like. You'd think he's not paying attention, almost like a kid on his iPad, but he listens to everything. Mm-hmm. So every once in a while, a guy would be talking, and Abel looked like he was going rummaging through like some paperwork, and then he would just pop up and be like, "Ah, you're overdoing it. Too loud. Lower it. Lower it. Keep it real. Keep it natural." And then go back to his shit. You know. <laughs> um, oh, the the best part of Cafetina. One of the best parts was this guy. Uh, Francois. Francois was an ex uh, French beret, like Green Beret. And he was absolutely fucking, he was a tough mofo, but he was also like, um, he worked in the movie industry as a location scout, mm-hmm. but he kept wearing his military garb. Um, I remember before Daniel Day Lewis shot um, Gangs of New York. Um, I didn't know of Gangs of New York at that point, but he, Daniel Day-Lewis kept hanging out with Francois. And I kept seeing them walking around the neighborhood. So I think uh, Daniel Day-Lewis was watching Francois' movements because he was a very tough guy. And the first time I met Daniel Day-Lewis there was, I was walking down the street, and I hear, You Greek! Because he knew I was, that's how he called me by my nationality. Greek! And I turned around and said, yeah. He goes, Look, I'm with Daniel Day-Lewis. Fuck you! And I'd be like, oh, fuck you too! And then they would just laugh, and they would just walk away. And that was that was uh, Francois how he talked. He loved he if he if he liked you, he'd say go fuck yourself. You know that was his yeah. way of saying I like you. And yeah, <laughs> I can relate to that. Yeah. Also, he's gave yeah, I shouldn't start the gossip here, but he his claim to fame was that I fucked Bob's. I fucked Bob's. About Bob's he's like I made her walk three floors up my walk up three floors, Bob's. <laughs> I don't know if it was real, but yeah. <laughs> See, these guys, this machismo kind yeah, of culture, yeah, yeah. it's weird because it's it's lost in Manhattan a lot. Yeah. But so where you're at now, we'll get to that. It's uh-huh. just, it seems like you're in a fucking different planet. Like Completely. you've just walked into a different kind of time warp Big and time. you're in a different location with all this wild shit happening. It's amazing, but I, in general, New York, and, you know, I, I, I sound like one of these old, like, sort of New Yorker guys who's like, oh, New York's changed so much, but it really, really has. Yeah. It has. It's what you were saying in the beginning in your rant. Like, um, there's a there's beauty to things getting, you know, growing and evolving, mm-hmm. for sure, but there's these special little moments, this edge that New York has, has, has lost, that it's really difficult to ever attain again. And I think part of it is because, obviously, the people that lived down in Soho, lived in Midtown, mm-hmm. these were these were New Yorkers and not just because of their financial aspect. Like, they were born, raised here, or they came here and they made a life here. And they, they, they had character and they, they were unique. And right now, especially in Manhattan, um, I, I think it's very difficult to find. Yeah. Right? 
Yeah, and they're still trying to capture it, which is great news for us as actors because they film so much here now. Yeah. And they're trying to capture whatever's left of it because I think they know that there's still so much marketability in the nostalgia of old New York. Mm-hmm. And whatever's left of it at all. And it's not, I don't think it's because they're shooting here that, the nostal- that everything's being lost. I think it's kind of a slow roll of just politicians trying to jack themselves up and do really well and by way of cleaning up the city as well as just technological advances and people being able to kind of move and yeah and sometimes i wonder because maybe and again this is an assumption maybe because like um writers and directors and showrunners have a little more power now than the studios right so now they could make an adjustment and say hey i want to shoot my series in new york yeah because you know, people would like to live here yeah you know i think L.A. and anywhere else, Vancouver, where other stuff, in Atlanta, things are being shot. At the end of the day, people want to be in New York. Yeah. You know, and some people go to L.A. because that's where the work is. But if you have a, if you control that, you know, I would say a lot of uh, artists type would love to be in New York. So they have the control to move the production here, which is, and maybe that's the reason, other than the tax cuts and whatever else you get, right, yeah. from, from shooting here. It is a wild city, man. I love it. Boston's a great city, and it's home to me. Mm-hmm. I grew up on the South Shore, but if you're in the medical field or if you're in the education field, you can't beat it. Yeah. But if you're shooting things and you're there to try and get the Boston microcosm the mm-hmm. same way we're talking about New York, it's great. But then Big it's kind of like, well, what else do we do? You know, spring mm-hmm. doesn't really exist anymore. It just goes yeah. from winter to summer. Used to be a beautiful season in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Fall's still awesome. Mm-hmm. But the summers get hot. You want to be on a beach and the winters are fucking torture. Yeah especially yeah. with the darkness. So it's just, I don't know that people would want to make sure their series is shot there unless it's location-specific. As wonderful a place as it is to live. Definitely, yeah. definitely. But I think a lot of people also, like, probably, like, including you, right? Like, you, you, you have this love for Boston, but at the end of the day, you made your move to New York knowing that there, it's a center of, of, of artistic expression, and right? And it's yeah. something that you would always... And, and it's great for you that you're, you're so close to whenever you want to go back home. It right, is. That's a nice that's feeling. That's a huge gift. You know, you just really don't get is. that out west, and I know a lot of people that struggle with that. It's great, yeah. So, did you go from Tina's to where you're at now, or did no. you? So Tina's, <laughs> Tina's was uh, sort of like a couple days a week, and then at that point, I was still working full time in a regular job. Okay. Um, before I even started acting, I was uh, nine to fiving it. Um, soon to realize, as I was getting older, that hey, this isn't. I could tell I'm not corporate because my uh, the way I was uh, communicating with people, I realized I was more of a free spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a problem. I'd knock on doors and walk right into offices and be like, this is a problem. <laughs> and they'd be like, no, this is not the system of corporate. You have to actually write an email. You have to do this. You have to do that. You know, and I remember I was really, I must have seemed like a lunatic because I had an issue and I'd walk into office, they'd be like, no, you got to write an email first. So then I'd go and I'd say, I'm writing this email because they told me I have to write this email. <laughs> so I have a pro-, you know. So everything just started coming together that this wasn't where I was meant to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I knew I had a bug for performing, but I was so scared. So what I did was I moved from corporate to kind of another corporate, but I started doing production assistant work for a Nickelodeon show called Blue's Clues. No so shit. Was, yeah, yeah. So I was doing... Did you meet Steve? I was ironing, steam ironing Steve's clothes <laughs> for two years. Um, he was a wonderful, really nice guy. Um, That's cool. But I remember steam ironing his clothes 
Um, they were really nice people there, running and getting lunch. I was a gopher, and but I met Mr. Uh, Rogers. He'd come on set a couple times. Um, at that point, I had a I had a girlfriend and her little niece. Loved Blues Clues. I was able to get autographed pictures. So it was just, I started getting a feel of the entertainment industry, okay. uh, sort of from the outside in. Um, but I was doing that and then working at Cafe Tina's at night. Um, and then eventually what happened was I started working at another bar. I, I left Blues Clues. And then I was working like five nights a week, three nights in one bar in Astoria. And that's where my Astoria life started, Astoria, Queens. And then two nights at Cafe Tina. So I was doing five nights. And, and back then it was wonderful because the bar I was working with was really cash heavy and it was fun. Yeah. And it was crazy. So... So Astoria, that's your first foray. First of all, hold on, Mr. Rogers. Let's yeah. just backtrack a little. Yeah. You met him. I met him, yeah. I feel like, you know, respect-wise, you'd say it's nice to meet you, Mr. Rogers, but just huh? saying it to you, it sounds fucking weird because it's Mr. Rogers. I know. Was I he know. like, please call me Fred? What, I mean, what? No, no, he it, was very nice. We, we had a little bit of a chat. I told him, hey, I used to love watching you as a kid. You just know, a normal kind of really relaxed sweet, guy. Sweet, sweet guy. You could tell. Because our demographic, man, that's the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was really sweet, and I think recently my sister sent me a link of him. Like, I gotta watch it again on Facebook of of how how like into it he was, like ch- childhood, like growth and education. Like he was really into. He was all in. Like it wasn't just the act. That's like awesome. He was really, yeah. It's, it's, I think it. I think that's why it translated, probably. And it's nice to get a character reference. You actually shook the man's hand. Yeah, yeah. You, you were around him, and it wasn't like he was, you know, whoring yeah. it up, exactly. screaming at exactly. people, and slapping exactly. asses on exactly. stuff. Exactly. So, all right, you're back. Uh, you're in Astoria. Just give me a real quick intro to Astoria about where you started at the bar there. What yeah. was it called? It was called. It's still there. It's called when when they first changed the name. This place was called the Loft, and then it changed to Caprice. It's on Astoria Boulevard, so I I it's called Caprice. It's really a Greek centered bar, mm-hmm. but it's wild, meaning people are spinning the lights around there. It's like a small bar, but a circular bar, and everyone's around it, a square bar. I mean, everyone's around it. DJs in the middle, and people just have a crazy time in there. It's like they're having fun. It's like. Back then, I think Bloomberg just came out with this no smoking rule, and people were breaking that for the next 10 years after that. Mm-hmm. And it was just a fun, fun place. People would throw money at the bartenders, so that's why we would make we would make bank, because when people were dancing, mm-hmm. they would just whip out money and just throw it in the middle no of the No shit. Pit. Yeah, oh, yeah. cool. So on top of the tips, we also were picking up the money from the floor. Fuck, I love that. Yeah, yeah, it I was great. unsolicited all the it time. It was great. I, I was, like, so happy, because at that point, I... I still didn't start acting, but I was sort of adjusting to the fact like, oh, wait a minute, I'm making a pretty good living here working five days as a bartender. Maybe now I could start looking for some acting classes. Mm-hmm. And that's how it all started. That's how it yeah, kicked yeah, off. Yeah. Cool. Well, we'll jump more into yeah, Astoria. We'll yeah. jump more into everything else uh, after a quick break. Johnny Sully, you're the man, and we'll be back with you after these words. This is a plug for the grand the Grand, as you're about to find out later in this episode, is Johnny Solo and Company's amazing cafe, restaurant, and bar in Astoria, Queens. It's at 37-01 30th Avenue. 37th Street and 30th Avenue in Astoria, Queens. They do weird shit in Queens, guys, with dashes and addresses. I don't fucking like it, but it's our reality. I'm just living in the world. 37-01 30th Avenue. The place is awesome. It's gorgeous. It was recently renovated. They kicked the shit out of Queens for about, I don't know, 10 plus years. I'm spitballing here. And then they decided to keep up with the times. They were going to do a quick remodel. 
and they're crushing it. Great food, great staff, open air if you want to come through in the summer and spring. It's gorgeous. The Grand. Check it out. All right, we're back with Johnny Solo. First of all, people have fucking issues with, like, the E, like Johnny, Frankie, Richie, all that shit. Like, dude, I'm not a teenager anymore. Mm-hmm. Fuck that, man. Johnny Depp. You know what I'm saying? Like, people uh, own that shit. Johnny Solo is a dope name. Do you go, do you get pissed at all? No, I no, I, I, I it, did, but it goes back and forth. You know, I've, um, I realize when people get pissed at me, they go to John because they stop it. They, <laughs> okay. they, they, they don't want to be endearing because Johnny, there's something endearing to it, like naturally, organically. So I, I rarely get someone saying, Johnny, it's mostly John. Yeah. And they stop it, the, you know, um, and I realized that. Um, and there's times, you know, when you're wavering and you're getting a little older, you're like, I don't know. So Do I want to be known I John, as? I go to John sometimes. I go to every, you know, and at the end of the day, it's, you know, I'm cool with both. I'll react to both, you know? Yeah. I, some people throw Maddie at me. It's not really as common and it's certainly not what I go by, but I think it's endearing. If you yeah. know me like that and you say it, I think it's cool. Like two of my best friends, Ricky and Frankie. Yeah. Like, I can't call them Rick and Frank now because they're fucking older. That's bullshit, man. You got yeah. kids. That's great. But. Whatever, man. You're still Ricky and Frankie because I love you. Definitely. And also, listen, on my end, you know, you remember my, my, my real last name is Solo Medes. Mm-hmm. And that happened because of Washington Heights because I, from the time I was in second grade, that became my nickname because I'd go to Little League and I remember it was like all Dominicans and me and they'd be like bringing us out for like the first game of the year and they'd call our names out, you know, okay, Juan Pablo Duarte, hey, you know, <laughs> and they'd be like, playing first base, hey, John... Sol, John Solo, hey! And, they, and then all of a sudden, all my friends just started calling me Solo, 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 and that's how it just... It's a great name. Took, yeah, it's a great fucking yeah, yeah. But it's weird. It's it's interesting. It's it's so ingrained in me. It's natural. Yeah. But it's funny now when I'm doing, like, paperwork and my kids going, like, you know, my kids right now are Solo Medes, right? Yeah. And it's like, to play that, it's, it's kind of interesting. Like, I don't know. Sometimes I waver again about it, but it's so ingrained in me, so, yeah. I wonder if we were ever O'Flynn's or if it was anything like that that got shortened the other way. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I, um... Oh, God damn it. Fucking nerds. This dude's got the Millennium Falcon tattooed on his arm, and what do you think he's showing me in a text note right now? Hey, hey, ask him about Solo, a Star Wars story. It's not fucking bad enough. (laughs) Chewbacca was taking up a goddamn courtside seat in Game 3 of the NBA Eastern Conference Finals last night, Court. You want me to ask fucking Johnny Solo about Solo? Johnny... I'm going to ask you about Solo, a Star Wars story. What do you think? What do I think? I haven't seen it yet, but I've gotten a lot of messages of people sending me the movie poster. I bet. That's that. Um, so pretty much under Johnny Solo, the, the, the usual things are obviously Han Solo. Uh, some people have dropped, uh, sounds like a porno name. You know, I've had that. And, uh, sounds like a bad porno name. You're by yourself. That's it, No, right? it's not a porno name. Why? It's, it's all alone. Um, I, I also like, personally, I like the Juanito Solo. There's like a shirt that's out there that someone sent me one time, Juanito Solo. And I kind of like that with the ring of that. If I ever open a Mexican restaurant next, I think that's where I'm headed. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad you went to Juanito Solo and gave court virtually nothing. You have no idea how much that means to me. I don't really have much respect for the Star Wars (laughs) nowadays. I really don't. I don't know. Again, maybe I'm a jaded older guy. Rogue One was fucking great. Uh All right? And I didn't see the most recent one because I just, I had my issues with the, uh, what the fuck was the name of the, I might as well ask you. You're sitting here. What was the name of the one, the first one, the reboot? I don't remember. Force Awakens. 
A Force, The Force Awakens. You know, mm. it was fun, but it was Star Wars. It was the this original. This thing's never going like, to end are we doing? Now, right? Why this is this? this is never going to end. No, no, it's right? going to keep it's going. It's done. I mean, Disney's going to keep this. pushing this forever. I'll say this. Solo looks fucking great. Thanks. You happy, Coy? You're talking about Solo? Well, they both look great. They both look great. I'm going to give both of you that because you deserve it. I feel good today. It's been a good Sunday. Court, to, to quote the great Michael Rappaport, you fuck you. <laughs> All right. Now I'm putting you on the spot, Solo. Yeah. I want to hear the Al Pacino story because you transitioned into acting. Oh. One of your guys, it happened in a fucking restaurant and it would be a goddamn shame if you didn't tell it here. Yeah, okay, I'm gonna, I'll go to it, and I'll, I'll, I'll like, cut it up a little Juke bit. Juke and today. jive, do okay, your thing, Juke man. Juke and jive, so, restaurant, I was working at, at, at this restaurant, it was in between about the Cafe Tina time, and, uh, Al Pacino walked in with Robert De Niro, and I didn't care about De Niro, because I'm a big Pacino fan, so mm. all of a sudden I told everyone else, I'm the assistant manager, I'm taking over this table, I went there, they, they was them with another three ladies, and I took their orders, and... The women, you know, they ordered back then, you know, it was the Sex in the City day, so, you know, the Apple Martinis and the Cosmos were in. Um, easy, right? Easy drinks. I don't know. Do you ever make Apple Martinis? Never. Those Thank are God. Done. We don't carry the shit. <laughs> They're disgusting, we don't carry right? It. They're really Horrible. disgusting, yeah. Um, and then uh, I, I, De Niro ordered a, a Black on the Rocks, and Pacino said, uh, let me get a Diet Coke. And I said, oh, cool. Very nice. All right. So I went and got that, and all of a sudden I took their appetizer. Someone ordered a mozzarella, what else? An Italian dish that they order appetizers, a little calamari, right? And all of a sudden, Pacino said, let me get a salad with lettuce, tomato, and stuff. I said, do you want any cheese, mozzarella? Do you want some olives in there? I said, just a regular salad with lettuce and tomato. <laughs> so I went in. I put the order in. Um, I, I bring back everything. And Pacino, at that point, he winks at me, and he, and he nods for me to go to the back. So I, I go to the back by the bathrooms, and he said to me, um, Listen, what's your name? I said, I'm, I'm Johnny. He said, Johnny, I'm on a diet. My manager and my agent, they're right out there, and they want me to lose 25 pounds. Do me a favor. You got an office? I said, yes, we do. He said, let me get a linguine with clam sauce, extra spicy. Bring it to the office. Don't say anything. Tell me when it's ready. So I, I, I ran into the kitchen. I said, let me get a linguine with clam sauce, extra spicy for Al Pacino. And I made it. I took it down in the office. He looked at me. And, you know, uh, you know, he was such a good actor, right? He was sitting there eating his salad, drinking his Diet Coke, looking like he was all cool with it. So then he got up when I when I winked at him. He went downstairs. He ate the linguine with clam sauce. He scarfed it all up in like two minutes. And he went, mmm, that was good. Make me another. <laughs> so I went and made him another one. I brought it back down. I, again, I don't know if they thought he had a pissing problem, uh, but he just kept getting up and down. He finally went back downstairs. He ate the second one. Loved it. He said, that was so good, Johnny. So at that point, I thought, you know, I have a secret with Al. He's going to give me his email, something. When he left, I shook his hand. I said, hey, I'd love to ask you some questions. I was kind of nibbling on being an actor. Um, but he kind of ran out with his people. He said, yeah, yeah, we'll be back. Uh, so, you know, I was a little heartbroken, right? Felt a little used. Um, but you got the secret. You got the secret with Al Pacino at that point, I right? Do, I, yeah, do, I, I mean, do. I do. I do. I do. I, no, for sure. Disappointed, for sure. but shit, that's yeah. you're already at something. Definitely. And then the next day, he called the the office. My 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 uh my boss picked up, and he said right away without even saying anything. He said, "Let me talk to Johnny." And my boss said, "I'm the owner. What do you need?" He goes, "I said I want to talk to Johnny." <laughs> so my 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 uh 
my boss thought it was some like one of my friends being an asshole, so he gave it to me. And I picked it up. And he goes, I said hello, and he goes, Johnny, this is Al Pacino. <laughs> I woke up this morning with two thoughts in my mind: linguine with clam sauce, extra spicy, and your name, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> And I, th- I was like, okay. And then he just hung up. <laughs> um, kind of wacky, right? And uh, a week later, he runs in by himself wearing like a black trench coat, um, like coat. And he's like, Johnny. He locked in with me. He goes, I got a plane to catch. Make me a linguine with clam sauce. Extra spicy. Fast. Pronto. Pronto. <laughs> so I made it for him. He ate it. And then I said, so, Mr. Pacino, can I stay in touch with you? I'd love to ask you a couple more questions about acting. And he said, yeah, he gave me some email. Um, as he's running out, he smashed his face against this big <laughs> chandelier door we had, and he fell down. He's like, ah! <laughs> and I'm like, this dude broke his face in our restaurant. I run right up to him. I'm like, holy shit, this is crazy. And he slowly opened up his eyes through his fingers, and he said to me, you wanted to know about acting, Johnny. That's acting. <laughs> ah. <laughs> and, and in many ways, it's it's really true, right? I mean, that's that's uh, sometimes as actors, we make it a lot more than just play. And I think that's the moral of that story. Yeah. Right? That it's just play, curving, having fun with life, little lies about eating linguine with clam sauce, don't hurt anyone, <laughs> right? Absolutely, man. And... <laughs> it it goes back to that whole all the world's a stage. Yeah. And there are different sides to all of us. Mm-hmm. There are. It happens. You know, when we, we start talking serious stuff, we talk about the craft of acting, we start thinking, I lock in a little bit more. The accent Absolutely. falls away. It's standard American English. That's me. That's fucking me. That's yeah. a part of me. Maybe I won't curse as much. Yeah. You put the Celtics on, Boston accent is flying. Mm-hmm. I am fucking boiling over. Still me. Well, that's like the... Still uh, me. Who's the, uh, what's his name, the, what's, what's his name's actor from Godfather 3, which I shouldn't even be bringing up. Uh, oh, Andy uh, Garcia. Yeah, Garcia. So Andy Garcia is an interesting guy because, like, he, you could tell he tries to curb it as much as he can, the, 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 the accent, right? The, mm-hmm. Coming out. But whenever you watch one of his movies, once he gets into, like, an aggressive, angry scene, he's like, yeah, you know how I feel about this. Because I told you, you can't, da, da, da. It's and really it's, like, hard. It all comes out. Yeah. You really like, right? It's tough. I mean, it's doable. <laughs> But it, all of a sudden, you have to. It takes me a few times going through it to to lose the accent. The reverse is with my dad, because my dad had a coffee shop down on Wall Street for years. Mm-hmm. So he, you know, back then in these little dinettes before POS machines and P- Pixel Point, you know, like yeah, POS machines sure. ordering, people would order with my dad. He would scream it across the room to the grillman. The grillman would make it and throw it in a bag on to him. He'd put it in a, like, he'd throw the bacon, egg, and cheese back, he'd put it in a bag, and give it out to the customer. But it got to the point where my dad has a heavy Greek accent, mm-hmm. except when he talks food. Because I think he <laughs> said it so many times. So he'll be like, hey, Johnny, hey, what's going on? Hey, what, uh, let me get a bacon cheeseburger deluxe. <laughs> and I'm like, holy shit, this guy speaks clearly when it comes to food. Oh, wow. The accent's gone. It's fascinating. I think he's practiced it. But that's time. him. Yeah. In yeah, both yeah. senses. You throw a camera on him and you start talking food, nobody knows he's Greek. Yeah, probably. Or not. He has comb over, <laughs> hairy chest. <laughs> you know, uh, 
Yeah, but I love that. But back then, that was a whole other thing. The diner talk was a whole other it's thing. It's a different animal, too. Yeah. If you've never experienced a real New York diner, is there anywhere you can anymore? Because I remember the Edison Hotel when we went and saw Mike. Uh-huh. Um, when he worked there before they closed, that was the closest thing I've seen to just that real... Yeah, there's a few left, but it's very rare. It's very rare. It's that Tommy Davidson short order cook and in living color sketch. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, exactly. And there aren't many anymore. I don't yeah. know. I haven't seen any since Hotel Edison. Shit's <laughs> <laughs> crazy, man. Now, any place making egg creams is gone, right? Like egg creams. Yeah, and... there's one joint. I think it's called Luncheonette on Lexington. Okay. Over on the Upper East. All right. And they still do kind of a knockoff of the egg creams and all that. And not even a knockoff. They yeah. do that, but they don't have that. Fast paced, yeah. sort of. My father used school. to love giving an extra tone to the word schmear. Oh, man. Let me get a toasted bagel, everything with a schmear. <laughs> I remember it's as I was growing word. up, I was like, what exactly is the schmear? But <laughs> no it's not knows. It's not like a loaded cream cheese. It's just a schmear. It's just a little light coating of cream cheese on, and then the bialy. Let me get a toasted bialy with a schmear of cream cheese, you know? <laughs> So this was your upbringing, man. You had your yeah. dad in this business, yeah. and you're waiting tables, you bartend, transition. Mm-hmm. At what point do you go in on the grand? Okay, for, well, first, my first business, even though it was a very small percentage, was me and a couple of my guys, friends, were promoting nightclubs as well. Mm-hmm. So we were promoting all these nightclubs. So we would do these big events into the, in the city, all these big nightclubs, and we would fill it up with 2,000 people, and we were making good money. So this was great. So then we figured, because a lot of our clientele was centered around Astoria and Queens and Brooklyn, but it was sort of like that bridge and tunnel crowd, we went into a bar in Astoria that was not doing well called World. Mm -hmm. It was actually, they built this beautiful bar, and it just wasn't doing well. It just wasn't clicking. So we went in there, and we were promoting their Saturday night, and it became like this great Saturday night spot. So at that point, we started saying, hey, we should open up our own spot. And we were like really young still. We were like 25 years old or so. So we were looking at all these bars. But when the owner of that place found out that we were looking for our own place, he turned around. He said, why don't you guys just take this place over? So what we did is we renovated the place, World, and we named it Life, which was already a pretty big nightclub in the city. So we just took the name. (laughs) Uh, We made it like all white. Back then, that was the style, right? Everything was white. The chairs were white. Everything was white. Uh, and we had a nice run there for three, four years. We made some money. Um, we were doing Friday nights, Brazilian nights. Saturday night was like just a regular crazy night. And at that point, one of my partners found this big corner Greek restaurant that was doing horrible. Uh, before that, it was a bank. And we came up with the idea to do a, a sort of a cafe slash sort of the neighborhood started getting gentrified a bit. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of actor friends at that point. Of just I started acting, and a lot of actor friends were telling me they're in Astoria, and they were like, "I feel very uncomfortable there. There's nowhere to go. Everywhere I go, there's a guy with a big mustache and a cigarette." <laughs> yeah. um, so we opened up uh, Grand Cafe at that point, uh, and I remember a lot of the locals were like, "I gave them a brunch menu when we first opened on Saturday Sundays. We had brunch, and that's how crazy it was." 12 years ago in Astoria where everyone was making fun of us that we had a brunch menu. Yeah. They didn't understand the concept. They're like, what is this? Get rid of this. What do you mean no smoking indoors? What do you mean no <laughs> soccer on the TVs? So 12 years ago, we made a, a, a really, I remember we made that assessment. We're like, no more soccer, no more cigarettes. We're trying this thing called brunch, which is like an alien 
uh, idea. To the neighborhood. Yeah, to the neighborhood. And and then obviously everything started picking up in the neighborhood. But you were kind of the pioneers that brought it up there. I I believe we were. Yeah. You know, you like to you like to believe that, but I think it's I think it's pretty well known. Yeah. Well, you never really know who brought it, and maybe it didn't work as well. But certainly, you were the pioneers that brought success to that model and that neighborhood. Correct. And we weren't, and we still kept it sort of honest to also the locals as much as we could. Yes, the brunch thing was foreign. The uh, no smoking and the no soccer was foreign. Mm -hmm. Um, But we still kind of kept it enough uh, on a comfort level for the neighborhood as well. Um, Later on, obviously, uh, you know, there were a lot more I don't want to say creative, but a lot more hipster-oriented places that opened in Astoria that are far more authentic for you know than what we were in that sense because we weren't really the hipster guys opened up the hipster places, you know. Yeah. We were sort of in the middle. Okay. You know, we gave both worlds enough. Yeah. Yeah. And that can be a dangerous game when you're starting a business too because you're not catering to something specific. That can be a dangerous game. Shit, Court, you and I know when we're fucking making videos or we're doing things, if you don't cater to a specific group, a lot of times you're hanging yourself. It's but a really hard balance. Yeah. You were you were really successful with yeah, it. Yeah. Look at where it's taking you now. You you still in Republic, right? Yeah, we have Republic and Grand and I got involved in a, in an outside way with a bunch of other uh, a branded restaurant called MP. Yeah. Um um, but yeah, I'm slowly uh, separating myself from that. But you know, you give sh- things shots, you know, because I didn't have to really put in much work and effort in those places, so I thought I'd give it a shot. And so. the MPs? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you put more than fucking enough work that I've seen in the past, what, yes. seven, eight years that we've known each For other sure. in Grand and then Republic. Republic Talk a little yeah. about Republic because I didn't plug it. It's amazing. It's right off the, uh, what is it? Astoria, Astoria Boulevard. Um, yeah, right yeah. off the Astoria Boulevard stop. A couple blocks behind Neptune Diner. Yeah, we're only open pretty much Friday, Saturdays. That's It's more of a nightclub bar spot. But the you bar- got the fucking pizzas, man. We have the pizzas. Those are so good. The bartenders really let it rip there. That's more of a fast-moving bar. Yeah. Um, and it's 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 a fun place, you know. It's an artistic place. We have some beautiful events there. It's great. That's it's cool. Really great. Yeah. That's really cool. Well, yeah. you busted your ass to get where you're at as a restaurateur. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's fun to watch, man. And you kicked the shit. I mean, you've been my inspiration for a long time as an actor. I remember when I Thank fucking you. came here and I had no credits, and you know, we met through our late great acting coach Nico Hartos yeah. who shortened it from Hartofiles Hartofiles yeah so I, it's it's yeah. funny to just the Greek chop off of the exactly. last names exactly exactly um, when we first met just watching you and uh, you talked about being a bit of a rapper yeah just yeah. kind of like keep up yeah up in Washington uh, give me the neighborhood again uh, Washington Heights and, Washington and Inwood yeah. Inwood yeah just being up there getting into rap especially during the 90s mm-hmm. when it was just such a boom there was just so much good rap on the scene still and love it man the 70s, i love 80s it so guys much had gotten yeah. into a place where the 90s dudes ran with it and the first set that i hung with you on that i met right after i met nico was lights out yeah that great fx series yeah you had that amazing role as bazooka yeah yeah that was fun pablo pedro pascal's um kind of his hype hype man, man. yeah his hype man you're yeah. rapping in the ring and you're spitting and I remember Pablo Schreiber had that great question. You kind of hung him out to dry on. Yeah. What did he say to you? He said something. He was asking me when I'm having my album released or what music. How or long something. you've been How rapping. long I've been rapping for, yeah. And you're like, I'm, I'm an actor. Yeah, I'm an actor. I'm, I mean, I'm, listen, I the truth rap. is, though, I definitely put in my effort. Like, when you think about the, uh, you know, your whole Outliers 10,000 hours thing. Yeah, I think sure. as growing up, I listened to rap music and I, and I performed it so much myself. 
like just trying to memorize the lines and recite the lines. Yeah. I probably wrote my own lyrics as well, thinking that I could sort of dive into it. I, I, I've probably put in so much effort in that aspect yeah. that it's kind of very easy for me to tap into that. Yeah, no, you know? early Cube, early Wu-Tang, early House of Pain, Cypress yeah. Hill. Like, yeah. I was doing the same shit growing up, man. I love it. Yeah, it's really great. It's really great. And every once in a while, somebody comes out now that, that has that feel, but it's rare, you know, but it's they rare. come out here and there, you know. So what do you got going on right now? <sighs> on, the, on the acting front, um, you, you always get your, your hand into something. Yeah, listen, I got a, uh, right now, it just started being in the festivals. They had a screening yesterday. I didn't go, but the old, uh, remember I told you the uh, film from the, uh, one of the guys from the Jerky Boys. Yes. Um, yeah, he made a movie called The Martyr Maker. Okay. Uh, it's going to be at the Los Angeles Film Festival. They, he screened it yesterday for cast and crew. I couldn't get there. Um, but from what I've heard, it's amazing. Uh, it's got some a list of funny guys, some interesting guys. You got uh, Wild Man Tom Sizemore in it. <laughs> um, so we'll see how that goes. Uh, currently, we still have Love Magical, uh, oh, my film on iTunes and love. Amazon. I actually, we, we dropped a, a commercial on that, didn't we? Oh, you did? Yeah, Great. Yeah, yeah, Thank Fuck you. Fuck yeah, man. Thank I love you so love much. Magical. Great, man. Big fan. Um, you and Justin were great. Thanks, man. Thanks. And now, really, other than, you know, going out there in the pavement with auditions, I'm uh, I'm working on two things. Number one is I'm just uh, I'm bringing out a lot of my own content. Finally, I have all these notes of things that I've wanted to do. Yeah. And finally, I've been really active in doing it. So you could find it on John Solo on Facebook. Okay. I'm going to just be plugging it on there. Um, and that's been so much fun. And now, I think next, I'm going to shoot something. I just got cast for something through a friend, through through my real, uh, 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 this film called, I think it's going to be called Charlie Boy, and it's going to be by, directed by, do you remember the, the, the great actress who was, she hit rarefied air for a while, Sean Young. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's going to. She got that crazy Catwoman story. Yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. She's going to direct it. I just met her last week. We sat down and went through kind of the script together. Um, interesting with her is, it's what you said about getting locked in as an actor. You know, you see Sean Young, and who knows where you know, you know the the aspects of her life where she's gone. She has two kids. She's she's you know she she was a really, you know she hit like I said rarefied air in this business right for many years. Yeah, she's worked with the best. Um, and we were talking, and it was kind of random conversations. But then once we started talking about acting and auditioning, it's funny how everything just locked in with her. Yeah, and she was just. Almost like the like 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 a martial artist or uh, anything that you're a specialist in. You could be kind of like wavery and uh, you're thinking this person is talking about different things and running off tangents. But then once the idea of the craft of acting came and auditioning, she locked in, looked right into my eyes, and gave me like a few pointers that were just magical. And I said, "Man, see, that's why, that's why this she's this is still her her thing." Yeah. And it was pretty uh, cool. I love just talking to other actors who get that because so many people it's like that whole thing from the departed where martin sheehan's like do you want to be a cop or do you want to look like somebody who wants to be a cop like there's so many actors in new york especially that just mm -hmm. like, want to be oh yeah i'm an actor blah, blah, blah. and they just want to walk around saying it yeah maybe take some classes do some stuff but the people who really devote their life to it it's so fucking great to have those conversations mm -hmm. and to really lock in and understand. And you look into people's eyes and you get the heartbreak that they've endured 
big time business if you're really in it for the right reasons you kind of feel for each other to the point yeah. where you know what it is and you and then you celebrate each other's victories because you know what it means but i would say the closest thing that you know she we were talking about her and it's funny that we're this is a in a sense a, a bartending also podcast mm-hmm. we were talking about auditioning and kind of that zoning locked in don't have much leakage of energy kind of stay focused on what you're doing and it reminds me of bartending in many ways where when you're locked in as a bartender you're busy yes right the key thing and this is the difference between a great bartender and a shitty one and it really comes down to this you know your surroundings you know you're swamped and you're busy you know the people that are hanging out two to three rows behind waiting for a drink and you give them a look to let them know that you are there for them at some point. Mm-hmm. And then you go back to making your drinks. Once you're able to like, from from your ninja, say focus zen of making drinks, be able to look out in the great beyond of the customers and just lock in and give them that little nod. Hey, I'm really swamped right now, but I'm gonna get you soon. Yeah, That makes comfortable, customers so happy. And that makes me so happy as a customer when someone just locks in and just lets me know, even with a, with a quick look, I see you, bro. It's acknowledgement. It's coming. It's acknowledgement. Be yeah. patient. It's coming. And you can only do that in a swamped setting and be great when you understand fully where everything is behind that bar, mm-hmm. what you need to do for every ingredient, for every drink. Like, you have to know everything and it's like a great chef knowing all of his knives Mm -hmm. and his 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 ingredients and also how many drinks you have before that person the reason why you can't take his order yet because you know you got three four drinks that you're still already in your head and then you're 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 lining up and you're like okay then he it's his turn yeah then it's her turn yeah you know and and i and i loved that feeling when i used to bartend that 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 mastery of control of knowing that I'm going to give the best service I can and acknowledge the customers that are waiting yeah. because that's the key. That's what makes a phenomenal bartender. Agreed. You know, it's really peripheral vision. It all comes down to peripheral vision. Peripheral vision in yeah. bartending and in life. John Solo with an H. Are you if mad you, at me or you said John? I'm not mad. No, okay. This right, is a right, plug, right. not anger. John. Okay, good. John's, John Solo is on John's, Facebook. John yes, Solo right. with an H. You're right, with an with H. With an H yes. on Facebook. <laughs> If you if you haven't brushed your teeth yet, no H words, right. okay. Respect the people you're speaking to. John Solo with an H on social media and abroad. Johnny Solo to those who love him. Thank you so much for coming in, man. Thank you so much, man. Fucking nice. awesome. Real tales from the bar side. You guys have been great. Thanks for being here and listening. Subscribe. Give us a five star rating if you like us. If you don't, email me directly. MCWFlynn at yahoo.com. I'll throw it out there. I don't give a shit. Tell me. Just say, dude, your shit sucks. You're nobody. You're nothing. But don't fuck with my stars, man. Five-star reviews, please. Tons of love, guys. Have a good one. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Real Tales from the Bar Side. Be sure to tip your bartenders and tip us by subscribing, liking, leaving us a review. That stuff helps like hell and we really appreciate it so thank you again hope you enjoyed yourself and we'll catch you next week